0: ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. The award-winning multi-client payroll management and add-a-Linux platform is a remarkably effective tool for adding value to every client engagement. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor ADP Accountant Connect later in the episode.
1: The US tax code actually favors automation, according to a new paper. This is from the Brookings Institution. When you add up all the taxes on labor, hiring people, employing people to do work, it ends up being about 28.5% on employers. Now, what is the tax rate on replacing those people with software and equipment? It's only about 5%.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by A2X. Blake and I have talked plenty about the massive shift to online shopping during the time of COVID-19. This means that e-commerce sellers are dealing with massive amounts of transactions that need to appear in the general ledger correctly so that you can easily reconcile these transactions with a bank statement. A2X will give your Shopify and Amazon clients confidence in their financials because A2X was created with a focus on the importance of the reconciliation process. A2X posts tidy summaries of sales, returns, and fees from Shopify and Amazon directly into QuickBooks or Xero that will exactly match the deposits that appear in your bank account. A2X has won the support of Amazon, Intuit, and has hundreds of five-star reviews by accountants and bookkeepers in both the QuickBooks and Xero app stores. Cloud Accounting Podcast listener and e-commerce expert, Scott Scharf, said that A2X is the gold standard in e-commerce accounting. To learn more about using A2X and get 20% off your subscription by using code CAP20, Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash a2x. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash a the number two x. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Scott's Add-Ins. Are you tired of repeating the cycle of exporting data from an accounting system, then importing it to Excel, only to repeat the process again and again and again when the data in the accounting system changes? Ever wish that you could just create a formula in Excel and have it get the data from the accounting system automatically? Scott's add-ins will link General Ledger data in Xero to Excel. Once connected, you can directly, in a cell, create formulas like XGL, XRange, and XTrack. It's as simple to use as using the SUM function in Excel. Once you create your perfect reporter dashboard in Excel, you can simply recalc your Excel workbook to get the latest data from Xero. To learn more about how to use Scott's add-ins to create financial art, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/scotts. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/s.c.o.t.t.s.
1: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver,
0: and I'm David Leary. Blake, I know last week we uh, one of the headlines was we were just waiting for guidance. From the uh, IRS on the payroll tax holiday
1: or whatever. Is that what
0: they're still calling it? Payroll Uh, tax holiday?
1: Well, it depends who you're talking to. If it's a deferral, which is, that's what it really is. If it's a holiday or if it's a cut. And we finally do have guidance. I think it just came out yesterday, late Friday, as per the administration's uh, operating procedure these days. Yeah, now we know uh, that employers... The companies are going to be responsible for deferred payroll taxes, which if I were an employer, I would definitely not participate in this program because if my employees leave, then I'm going to be on the hook for this money. So do employers get to opt out?
0: Like if my employees say, I I don't want to be paying this uh, Social Security. I I want my holiday. Trump promised me a holiday. You can say, sorry, we're not participating in that at this company. Or do you have to participate
1: it is optional for the employer. It's up to the employer whether or not they want to do it. So here's how this is actually going to work. From September 1st through the end of the year, the employer will stop withholding the employee share of Social Security, which is 6.2%. Then starting in January, January through April 30th, the employer will withhold double the normal amount of payroll tax. So by April 30th, it will have been the net effect will have been the same. So it's so all
0: right. So I'm an employer. I'm being set up for to look bad now, right? Like like does Trump not want in the US small business support? Because first the employers are gonna complain and want this. Then you're gonna give it to them because what the employees want, they're the only thing instant. Then they're gonna be pissed at you after it come January when you take out twice as much out of their paychecks.
1: Yeah. Or you're going to say, I'm not doing this. And then they'll be pissed at you because you didn't do it. Uh, or worse, they're going to leave their job and take a new one in January, and you, you won't be able to collect that payroll tax. And so, you'll be on the hook for it because the employer is responsible. And the IRS explicitly <laughs> said that. So, you know, I, I mean, it just seems like definitely the big employers, Why they're not going to do this. Pa- apparently, by the, way, the Hold up! in all this guidance was due to the White House. That's according to accounting today. The White House actually wanted employers, not employees, to be responsible for the payroll tax collection and payment, even if the employees leave. It's because uh, there's more employees that vote than there are small business owners. I guess so. They were perhaps even pushing for a longer repayment period. Our favorite Trump economic advisor, Larry Kudlow he said last week that the administration is quote exploring ways unquote to forgive the tax payment completely the taxes quote essentially can be forgiven if you stretch it out 5 years 8 years unquote which i mean to me is ridiculous like they, they that kind of logic it's not it's not forgiven you're just stretching it out over 5 or 8 years and it? so it feels like you're not paying it back because it's a small amount over five to eight years. It's just, but it's completely divorced from reality. That kind of thinking because yeah, this s- is going to tie into some articles I
0: brought in for later. Actually, <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> about deferring payments. On things.
1: Well, I think it's obvious what I think about this program. I think it's idiotic and it just creates havoc for payroll companies, uh, payroll processors for small businesses. It's not helpful. It's not even that much money.
0: Yeah. I saw that it's, it's, it's uh, for $50,000 a year your um, salary, it's 119 bucks a paycheck probably for a total yeah. of $1,073. Right. So over nine pay periods. So, but the cost to track that and the risk to the employer are pretty high. Like it, oh, yeah. it just cut everybody a check for 1200. And again, like I, right. I it's, it seems really, I think what they're trying to do though, is they're trying to be like, we want to reward the people that have jobs or go to work or whatever this psychological game is, but just send out a check for a thousand bucks to everybody.
1: Or, I, I don't know. It's it's It seems like it's, it's just not enough money to make a difference. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. It's helping the people who already have jobs, but not really helping them because they're going to have to pay it back anyway. Anyway, I, it's ridiculous. But hey, I don't want to be too negative. So, I have a positive story about the administration. Okay. Where I actually agree. So, there's been a lot of talk about the United States Postal Service over the last few weeks. Have you been following any of that, David? Yeah.
0: I even tried to start a Uh, a plan here i tweeted about that people should because the remember when the treasury said they were out of coins yeah in the country i said take all your coins and go buy stamps oh yeah and then that would solve two problems right well we get the the (laughs) coins back in circulation and the u.s posters would get lots of money
1: right but you may be pouring money into a a government program that is actually very wasteful cfo.com had a story about this overtime question. Postal Service overtime is one of the things that Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, who is that you know Trump donor, but also a very successful logistics executive who knows how to run a company that does packages and deliveries and all that stuff, right? Business guy. So, one of the, the things that he did when he came in was he said, guys, overtime is ridiculous here. We got to stop it with the overtime. And it really is. The Postal Service had $522 million in overtime. 42% of the Postal Service's 633,000 employees had unauthorized overtime in fiscal 2019. 42% of their employees, hundreds of thousands of employees had unauthorized overtime. So they're not operating like a logistics company, it's wasteful. And, you know, sure, some of that overtime is necessary, but I can't imagine that there's a justification for so many employees having unauthorized overtime. It just seems wasteful. And so, I'm just thinking about this and I'm thinking, does it? it just doesn't make any sense that somebody would try to sabotage such an important service. The United States Postal Service is so important, serves so many people. So, it just seems kind of ridiculous to me that somebody would try to sabotage an entire department or a program like this just for the election, like it it could not possibly end well. And so I think actually like a lot of what has been happening is legitimate attempts to control costs and make the United States Postal Service operate more like a business that happened to coincide with the president saying stupid things. Uh, that that would then imply that he's pushing to like destroy the postal service for the election, but I think it's it's all getting confused.
0: Yeah, I heard a really good uh, NPR uh, podcast about this specifically, and it's the guy they brought in to run it. Did they call, what are they, is the title? Like Chief Postmaster or whatever Postmaster his title General is. Lewis Postmaster General, right? And so he came in from outside logistic companies, like you said. I think he's one of, like he's at the age of his career. He's made plenty of money. I don't think he's doing this for money. He's doing it for the challenge. Yeah. But the challenge is ridiculous, and it just sets everybody up for failure because back in the 70s, when this was really just a government agency, and they spun it off, and they said, hey, let's run it
1: like a as, as a business.
0: Yeah. So, basically, on one hand, they're telling the Postmaster General, you need to run this as a business, but guess what? You still have to pay all the uh, um, retirement stuff, the pensions, right? that are preset up and you can't get out of that. And so basically it's been running at a loss and nobody can figure out how to fix it. And so the changes, this new postmaster general started implementing, like ripping out those machines were decisions that were made in December and January. Yeah. That because before pandemic, before all this other stuff, just because he's trying to make everything more efficient, and then they've done lots of things. They've closed every every postmaster general does cuts because but nobody can figure out how to make this profitable, and it's because of the they're locked in. Like the big auto companies, they were able to declare bankruptcy and then get out of paying their pensions eventually, and that helped them get back on track. But the post office is just set up for failure, and it'll be saved because we care about it as a country. It's an institution, but whoever's running it has no chance of winning. Uh, Like anybody's approval
1: because congress is like bipolar on this issue right they say that they want to make the postal service profitable or at least break even but then you know congress people in rural areas won't let the postal service close post offices that serve very few people or limit the days that you have delivery right we have we deliver the mail to the middle of nowhere (laughs) six days a week it makes no sense. Cut it a little bit. Don't have Saturday delivery. But that's very unpopular with constituents. And so, you've got political considerations. That
0: Because if it was ran like a business, it would be like the cable companies and their internet. It would be the way FedEx well, and UPS. Hopefully not there, that there'd, bad. Be
1: big part, there'd be parts of the country that do not get service. Well, no. They would all get service, but it would cost more. Or it, you'd have less deliver fewer deliveries. You'd have to do something. Um, okay. So, that's it for the United States Postal Service. I got a few more political things we could just hit on real quick.
0: Might as well. I don't think I have any
1: political... So, something kind of wonky. The Fed changed its inflation target. This is actually super big news, but kind of hard to make sense of because what does it even mean? So, for the, I'll just try to summarize it here. So, for the longest time, um, the Fed has had uh, a target of um, balancing unemployment with inflation. The theory being that if unemployment gets too low, then inflation is going to go up. So when, when unemployment starts heading down to some unspecified target, the Fed preemptively raises interest rates to slow down the economy and prevent unemployment from getting too low and then inflation from happening. And what they have done now is basically change their philosophy to say that we no longer believe that low unemployment causes inflation necessarily. And so we're just going to allow unemployment to go down and we're not going to preemptively raise rates anymore. And we're going to have our target be around 2% inflation. And that's a big change. you know. And this is related to some of that monetary policy stuff we were talking about in previous episodes. But the the impact of this is probably what you're wondering about. The impact is that we're going to see low interest rates for a very, very long time, most likely. Yeah, which explains why the stock market just keeps going up
0: because you can't make money anywhere else there's no interest rates.
1: Yeah. That asset prices are inflated. It's this, this will actually be really bad for retirees on fixed incomes potentially, because if inflation starts to go up and the fed doesn't raise interest rates, then, you know, if they allow inflation to go to grow, then that reduces the, um, the value of fixed income securities, right? Annuities, that sort of thing. So um, not great if you're retired on a fixed income or social security.
0: You want to jump into uh, TurboTax or TurboTax? Sorry, uh, Intuit earnings. Let's talk about app news. App news. Well, so, uh, Intuit released their earnings. So they had a thirteen percent annual growth, driven by strong TurboTax performance. Hmm. So considering all the bad press TurboTax has gotten for the last eighteen months, it had its strongest year-over-year performance
1: in four years. Wow. Um, well, we knew it was growing already, right? It, it was it had good momentum,
0: and it's been like this for a machine, right?
1: Yeah. It's been growing year after year after year after year
0: after year for twenty straight, twenty five straight years. Mm-hmm. TurboTax has more and more people, and you're right. We talked about this before, right? They're moving from the the tax shops. Right, if it's an easy return, um, the H uh, and R Block, the what uh, the block stores, right? What do we call that? Yeah, the uh, um, retail tax. The retail tax, right? And people have been shifting to do it themselves. A couple of interesting numbers they talked about, though, specifically around that is that it, it, they actually put this in their filing. The number of customers paying nothing grew over twenty percent to sixteen million filers. Which I th- obviously they put that in because they're accused, you know, they were s- accused of swindling people into paying. Right. Right.
1: Right. That is kind of funny, though. You don't expect to see a company touting how many people use its products for free, right?
0: Yep. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the magic number for, or I think, for TurboTax is they have these, that side offering, Turbo, which is kind of their credit reporting software, which is kind of Intuit's version of Credit Karma. Right. Right. Well, now, and it's obviously buying Credit Karma, but that moved, um, that grew from 14 million users last year to 22 million. Mm-hmm. So, so, so ultimately, even if you have for a free offering over here on one hand, you're still able to get people to start
1: using your other offerings. Right? Did you and, mention and feeding into each other? Did you mention that TurboTax Live has grown quite a lot? I'm seeing. Yeah, your- I was going to
0: get into TurboTax. Yeah. TurboTax yeah. Live grew uh, nearly 70%. And mind you, remember they talked about before in the previous years that TurboTax Live has been like their fastest growing, most successful product offering ever? Yes. And the fact that their most successful product offering ever has grown by 70% is pretty amazing.
1: And that ties back into the... um, And TurboTax Live, by the way, that's where you get TurboTax software, plus you can video chat with a real CPA through the app.
0: And then what they're really excited about is with the uh, – so QuickBooks Live is basically built – this is from the conference call. QuickBooks Live is built basically on the platform they built TurboTax Live on. So, it's they're able to more rapidly roll this out. Mm-hmm. And what they're really excited about is – so, remember there started just like a, a QuickBooks Live-only um, setup service?
1: Yes. Early in the yeah, year? yeah.
0: So, what's happening is a, a much higher percentage of customers than expected are upgrading to it. So, they buy the setup service and then – it's a good experience. Their QuickBooks online is apparently set up in a higher percentage than expected or choosing to, to just opt into it monthly. Huh. So again, we talked about this before in the past, Rick, right? they're really taking people from a $70 a month QuickBooks subscription, right? To a $200 a month QuickBooks subscription, just by attacking on some quote unquote live services. It just help when you need it. Right. Um, which explains why they, you know, why they're having so much growth here.
1: Yeah. QuickBooks online accounting revenue up 36 36- for the year customer growth and higher effective prices drove that higher effective prices. I assume means QuickBooks online advanced and online services revenue up 21% for the year and their fiscal year ends July 31st. So they really didn't get hit by the pandemic. It seems. No. And, and
0: I, I feel like Intuit never does. They seem how to, be able to ride out. Because when the economy gets tight, I think people pay attention to their finances more.
1: Well, and you know what? Let's say I have a business that I had to close during the pandemic and I'm not going to come back. I still have to keep my QuickBooks subscription because I got to file my taxes down the road, maybe a year later or longer. So that is one of those things that is essential to my business. Even if I'm not operating, I got to have my accounting data. So maybe that's part of it.
0: And then also just in general, I think when things are tough i've seen this with the the dot-com one bust with the great recession is people have to if they don't have a job and you can't find a job and you can't get a job your only option is to start a business yeah and so you see a lot of new business growth and and, and to it because it, it they're cheap it's going to benefit from that because mm-hmm. you're trying to start a business you're not going to go buy stage intact when you're starting a brand new business right you're going to buy 39 dollars quickbooks online and that's uh, So, it's, it's kind of that same uh, mindset. A couple of things that were interesting. So, remember they did really well with all their PPP loans? Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the fourth quarter, they held $98 million in uh, loans receivables for PPP,
1: and they intend to sell all of those off. Makes sense, right? You don't so want that on your balance sheet.
0: I, and I imagine they are just going to package all that up and uh, sell it to somebody else, and that person
1: eventually will just own it. Hey, maybe we'll see some PPP loan backed securities. <laughs> derivatives.
0: Well, I mean, if we, if we pulled enough money, we could buy these for a cheaper cost from the banks and just hope that they all get forgiven, right? And right. then we'll just make the difference if that's the case, if we can buy them for, you know, I don't think pennies on the dollar, but maybe you might be You'll able to, to get see. them at 80% off. <laughs> you know, you might be able to. Nobody, nobody wants to hold notes for
1: $7,000 at a 1% interest rate. Nobody no. wants that. All right, well, we're talking about Intuit. Why don't we talk about QuickBooks updates for August? Yeah. So all of the updates four updates for QuickBooks Online in August, all for advanced. And this has been the trend that we've seen this whole year. Almost all the updates that we see are going into advanced, which is the $150 per month product. Makes sense, right? They're trying to increase their average size, average contract size. So what do we got? Well, invoice approval workflow is now live in QuickBooks Online Advanced. So you can route invoices for approval before they're sent to clients. There's also tasks. Go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Somebody else sent me that as a a video or a link specifically about that because a lot of times you'll have employee A creating an invoice to send to a customer and it's missing stuff. And if it's missing stuff, it's hard to get paid for that later on. So an approval workflow makes sense on the accounts receivable side.
1: Yeah, I think that's huge. We've also got tasks. Now you can... See your QuickBooks to do list in tasks. So, related to invoice approval, if somebody sends you an invoice for approval or creates a custom task for you, you'll now see that when you log into QuickBooks. We've also got batch create bank deposits. Now you can reduce the time spent entering multiple individual bank deposits. And finally, performance center updates. Your performance center in QBOA now displays quick ratio and current ratio. So, They're continuing to add the KPIs that are available uh, in that performance dashboard.
0: So I'm trying to still feel out the QuickBooks Advanced, and they talked about this in the earnings, that both QuickBooks Live and QuickBooks Advanced Basically, people look at those services and compare it to what they're currently paying for services, right? So they look at QuickBooks Advanced and they compare it to super expensive ERP software, mm-hmm. right? And in this environment, the cheaper cost option is going to win. And they also lo- know what they're like paying for bookkeeping and accounting services, and if they can get QuickBooks Live for cheaper, it's, it's really intuit views it as uh, because of the current economic environment as a, as a competitive advantage. But I'm trying to like still feel like QuickBooks Advanced, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have enough features to get anybody to switch if you have to go to an erp software like a sage intact etc you're, you're gonna go like it doesn't have enough features there but i also feel like it doesn't have enough features to possibly like is it gonna encourage you like oh those few features are worth the extra money i'm gonna upgrade my subscription uh, but like it feels like it's a very narrow audience that people that might need two or three of these things they need like i don't know is invoice approvals enough to
1: push you over to pay double in price well, considering that you're going from what 70 bucks a month to 150, you've got to really justify that extra 80. But if you're sending a lot of invoices and there's consistent errors in the invoices because there's no approval process and you can pay 80 bucks a month to avoid that problem and you're sending hundreds of invoices, that seems reasonable to me, right? I mean, that could save you easily. a month just by not missing stuff on invoices. So, that's the sort of thing that I think does provide value there. I mean, they're also bundling Fathom into QuickBooks Online Advanced. So, Mm -hmm. if you're paying for a separate reporting tool, you know, you can justify the cost there. I mean, you have to if you've got a big chart of accounts, right? That was the very first thing that they did with QuickBooks Online Advanced was limit the number of accounts you could have in Pro so that you have to upgrade. I think they have, yeah, it's, it, you know, the more customized user access that is probably valuable to some businesses.
0: I mean, I guess it feels like they're, if you're using QuickBooks Online and you're missing a feature, instead of putting that in QuickBooks Online, they're putting it in QuickBooks Online Advanced. And then like that customer, will, I guess I'll use QuickBooks Online Advanced because I need that thing. Right. And then, so they keep adding all these extra advanced things all separately, but really ultimately is most people are going to upgrade not to get all of QuickBooks Advanced they're upgrading for the one use case they need that wasn't put in regular QuickBooks Online, so so all the anything they like said that's advanced at all or a specific need is just going to throw in that QuickBooks Advanced.
1: Yeah, and and another big one is custom fields, right? You can add lots and lots of custom fields. So if you need customization, normally you'd have to go to an ERP system to get that. You can add those in in Online, and I think a lot of the stuff that's in the current desktop enterprise product is going to end up in Advanced. It makes sense, right? They're just getting there. The batch the batch processing can save you a ton of time. I mean, and on, on, online advanced includes, um, that integrated like bill.com thing too. So, I mean, if you're using bill.com by itself, you probably save a ton of money doing advanced.
0: Or you could use Melio.
1: Or you could use Melio. Melio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, do both. This episode of
0: the cloud accounting podcast is sponsored by ADP accountant connect. How can you stay on top of your game and still have time to think more strategically? Or how do you keep up with all the COVID-19 related stimuli programs to make sure your clients have the documentation to get their piece of the pie? By using ADP's award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform called Accountants Connect. Be your clients' go-to guru by leveraging Accountant Connect's tools and resources to strengthen your strategic advisory role while boosting the efficiency of your traditional tax and accounting services. With ADP Accountant Connect, you can process payroll and easily integrate payroll data to the popular accounting systems like QuickBooks, Zero, and Sage, and handle their clients' needs anywhere and anytime. And because ADP Accountants Connect was designed by accountants for accountants, it includes so much more. You can take a CPE course on trending topics, provide your clients with benchmarking data, Access a tax resource library, calculators, ebooks, even template letters for communicating with your clients, and it's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast. slash abp. That is cloudaccountingpodcast. promo forward slash ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. So, did you see that Zero appointed a director of to lead the U.S. Hispanic market? I had not. So, Jacqueline Les, she's going to be the director of the U.S. Hispanic market to support the fastest growing language demographics in the U.S. small business economy. And I think we've talked about this before in the past, like how many small businesses are started by Hispanics and how it's outpacing every other demographic. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is a, is a smart move by Zero. Intuit tried to get into this space years ago with TurboTax, almost 15 years ago. And they created a Spanish version of TurboTax and it just didn't sell. So, I don't know if it was, a, uh, it was 15 years too early. And when I say it didn't sell, I think they moved like 25 units didn't sell. 25
1: versions of it were bought off the store shelves, and that was it. That's interesting because the retail tax shops, the ones that are growing are the ones that target Hispanics. Yep. Yeah, but as far as standalone software, it's been a struggle. Right, right. Yeah.
0: And so, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Um, and in my understanding, you know, talking to um, – When we talked to the uh, Latino tax pro guys before, you know, at conferences, I've had discussions with them and some of it, the learning is they don't, my understanding is it's not so much that your software has to be in Spanish, but maybe your support team does, Mm -hmm. your sales team, uh, if you're doing webinars, like all the other communications around your product, right? And maybe that was the problem before, like Intuit created a Spanish version of TurboTax. Fifteen years ago, but none of the other things that supported the product. (laughs) Yeah, none of the people who worked there were (laughs) Hispanic. Were Hispanic. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that's uh, just it's it's an interesting uh, move, and I I think if you know, I think some former Zero employees, I know, we're pushing for this a long time. So yeah,
1: well, that's uh, great. Hopefully, hopefully that'll help Zero make greater inroads in the United States. We got some more Zero news. Zero has acquired Waddle to help improve small business cash flow. I had not heard of Waddle before. Were you familiar with them in any way?
0: Uh, Not entirely. I mean, I'm familiar with the concept, right? It's like an an invoice refactoring type uh, service. It's it's very similar to um, Funbox, Mm -hmm. um, who's really a huge partner with Intuit here in the the U.S. market. Um, And my understanding is they were they're
1: huge in New Zealand. They're a New Zealand startup, right? If they were founded in Australia in 2014, and I think the term that they use down there must be invoice financing, but we know it as invoice factoring often. And yeah, basically, you get a you connect Waddle to zero and you get a line of credit based on your outstanding invoices. Pretty simple. So, like you say, David, everyone's becoming a bank. A few more updates real quick on apps. FreshBooks has some updates. Mileage tracking is now live in the FreshBooks iOS app. I think we mentioned that they had added that into their desktop app previously. Um, You've got a month view in the time tracking area. You can automatically apply credits to recurring invoices. That's very helpful. Now your clients in FreshBooks can have secondary contacts. You can keep track of more folks, more like a CRM at your clients. So that's great. When somebody doesn't respond to your invoice, you can send it to the CEO as well. Direct Debit is now live for UK users of FreshBooks. And you can include unbilled expenses on invoices and recurring templates. So you always remember to include your unbilled expenses. And then last one for me, Google Chrome. Had some updates. I think this is worthy of the podcast, even though it's not accounting, because a lot of us live in Google Chrome these days. Although, David, I know you're a Firefox Firefox. aficionado. Uh, You and like 2% of the internet users in the world. (laughs) Well, uh, if I wanted to use the new IE, I would be using Chrome. Right. Um, Well... Chrome has a lot of features. So, you know, one I love is that when I'm logged in on Chrome with my Google account, it automatically logs me into all the other services that I use that use a Google account. Uh, but that's not what I want to talk about here. The f- new feature that's really cool is tab groups. So, David, I, this might actually be helpful to you. You have a zillion tabs open. So now you can create groups of tabs in Chrome that you want to leave open and you can name them. And so you can move the all the tabs around as a group. Could be really helpful if you're working on a specific project, you don't want to like get disorganized. Instead of having to organize them in Windows, you can use tab groups. So I've been playing around with that and I kind of like it a lot. And another big one I think that could be very helpful for accountants is Chrome is rolling out the ability to fill out and save PDF forms directly in the browser. So I'm not going to need a special, you know, I'm not going to need Adobe to do this. If I open up a PDF, I can just fill it out and save it.
0: And that'll make all PDFs, even when people send you a PDF that's not fillable? Is it going to help out I, with that situation?
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and lastly, one of the big complaints about Chrome, even though it's got such functionality with the uh, plugins and all that stuff, uh, is that it gets slow because of that, right? You have a zillion tabs open and your computer just bogs down. Well, they're introducing tab throttling. So tabs that have not in the forefront, that have been in the background for a while, will be throttled so that they don't consume all your computer resources.
0: Firefox has been doing something like that for a while where the other tabs are just not running.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, my problem with Firefox is just like, I need certain extensions. They make my life so much easier in Chrome. And I just, you know, they're never as good in Firefox because it's like a secondary browser. So, you know, companies don't develop those extensions. That's my thing. Oh, and also I'm a Google Apps user, right? So just... So much easier to use it in Chrome.
0: No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just uh just. just <laughs> but you know, you're
1: you're also you're a Maverick, David. You're an Android user, you're a Firefox user.
0: But we we've had we've had repeating history here. Remember when you'd go to websites and they'd tell you this website only runs on IE5 or IE6 or IE7. You must use IE ten to use this website. Oh, yeah. That was the and worst. Now what's happening? You go to websites and they're like, oh, you must use this on only Google Chrome because the developers only built it for Google Chrome. Like it defeats the purpose of the whole internet. Like the, your, Google Chrome is the new IE. It's plain and simple.
1: Well, it's certainly better than IE. <laughs> At least let's but give it I, that. I've heard
0: actually the new um, Microsoft Edge is excellent.
1: Oh, really? Well, I run a Mac, so I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen that yet.
0: But if you use Firefox, you get it on all your devices. Works perfectly everywhere. You know, people should uh, take a look. You know, we, we need to have an independent browser available.
1: So, so go ahead. what else? What else? What should we hit uh, on next?
0: I have a... Uh, Quick, Amazon got hit by a fraud scam for nineteen million dollars.
1: What sort of fraud? What happened? Uh,
0: it's a typical old school. Um, two brothers in New York State
1: were just sending fake invoices to Amazon. Oh, and they paid them, right? And they paid them. That's what happens when you get too big, right? Uh, how many? How much did they lose? Uh, nineteen million. Wow. Yeah, that's but that's like a rounding error for Amazon though these days, right?
0: And the the best part is is the. Uh, the, in the claim from the district attorney's office, right in this press release that was released, they said that the brothers, quote unquote, manipulated Amazon's vendor system. Like, I think "manipulated" is not really the word. They just mailed in an invoice, and some morons at Amazon paid them. <laughs>
1: like, well, and, not- well you, the classic fraud is you figure out who a vendor, a big vendor of Amazon, right, and then you uh, form a company that has a very, very similar name, enough where if you received a check from. You know, paid out to the real company, you could deposit it, and the bank wouldn't question it. and And then, you know, you you set, start sending invoices as if you're that company, and you just have a different mailing address. Yeah,
0: and, and because <laughs> it manipulated, means makes it seem like these these guys almost hacked in, right? And and, and yeah. It's, yeah. Amazon's a huge victim here, but it's like some. They got to take some responsibility. Your Amazon, like, how do you well, not have some controls around
1: this? Yeah, it's like when Wirecard, um, you know, went belly up, right? When that whole fraud. Two billion dollar fraud was exposed. Ernst and Young said, "Oh well, you know, it was a sophisticated attempt to defeat our fraud detection capabilities, and it turned out that, you know, it was just they faked bank statements, right? They they just been, sent." And them I guess fake, that's a statements. question that's
0: not even in this article. Like, where was the auditors? Like, nobody was like,
1: "What's going well, on?" With again. Again, I, I guess it like Amazon nineteen million dollars is probably a rounding error given how big they that's, are. True, that's true. So like materiality, uh, fraud detection, like it probably wouldn't even matter if that. It just sounds like a lot of money to us, um, and it's interesting. But you know, it, come on, it's still kind of amateur, right? Like they should have better controls in place to make sure that um,
0: they could use they could use Melio for free.
1: And have uh, approval <laughs> processes. <laughs> well, It would cost Amazon nothing to implement a solution. Th- what they should have had in that place, I don't know exactly how this happened. But let's say that it was the address changed in the vendor, right? Or the, like the invoice came in and there was a different pay to address. Like that should be an alert to change the address on a vendor, you know, should have require some review and approval and confirmation or whatnot. But a lot of systems, a lot of accounting systems don't have that built in because they aren't built to detect fraud. They're built to process transactions. And every fraud detection capability that you build into your app just makes it harder to use and slower in a lot of cases. So, there's that trade-off. You make the app harder to use when you put in place that stuff. But continuing on Wirecard, PwC's global head, Bob Moritz, responded to the Wirecard scandal. Now, his firm wasn't the one auditing Wirecard, but he pledged that PwC has to aggressively review how the firm can better hunt for frauds following the Wirecard and other accounting scandals. Quote, we want to make sure we're moving forward on the detection of fraud to ensure the relevance of the profession. Wirecard is yet another example of the fact we need to look at this and do it aggressively over the next few years. Now, how they're actually going to do that? Uh, No answer. (laughs) So is it just talk? Probably. Who are the auditors really working for? They're not working for the markets. They're working for the companies that hire them. And so, you know, they'll they'll continue to overlook fraud uh, as long as they can. They'll do the crappiest job they possibly can to satisfy their clients. That's just the nature of it. So there's an article on Accounting Today. Uh, CPA
0: firms hiring of accounting grads is down 30%.
1: Yes, I saw that too. And, and you know, it's funny. That's not actually a, a new stat. We've actually talked about that. Yeah, they said it's been a declining over recent years, right? From 2014 to 2018, CPA firms reduced their hiring of CPA grads or accounting grads, I should say, accounting not CPAs. Grads, yeah. They reduced their hiring of accounting grads by 30.
0: And and it's also not just the fo- the the big four or, or CPA firms doing it; it's just in general corporate America's hiring. Less CPAs, they're, they're having uh, fewer, less CPAs accountants. Staff, right? fewer, fewer accountants, fewer accounting accounts. And so then, so it's kind of where, so now I'm thinking about this. Like, on one hand, I, I see posts and like, accounts and, and bookkeepers that struggle to get qualified individuals to work for their firm. Mm-hmm. So, on one hand, like, there's a shortage of labor and people are looking for people with the skills, but it's just that a typical accounting grad doesn't have the skills. And yeah. then the other part of this, yeah. that I'm kind of thinking of the ripple effect of this, is that we always talk about diversity in the accounting industry. How are you supposed to to convince minorities? Be like, hey, go be an accountant. (laughs) Like (laughs) nobody's You can't get a job afterwards. But go get. Like, is it going to hurt? Like, like the ripple effects of this? Not these. The hiring not taking place. Just I wonder. Um, But I must. I really can't reconcile how I see constant posts from people they can't find talent.
1: You hit on it right there. Is that there's a lot of accounting grads still, but the accounting education. System accounting curriculum isn't preparing accountants to do what businesses need and what firms need. And so that's the whole justification for the CPA evolution project the AICPA is working on to add in technology into the curriculum and to offer people specialization when they take the CPA exam. So I can choose if I want to specialize in uh, tax. I can choose if I want to specialize in financial reporting slash audit, or I can choose if I want to specialize in what was the other one, like business management or technology. Sorry, that was one of the specializations. So I can choose to specialize in in those things and be more relevant. Right, uh, but it's interesting. The article that you met, you saw, I think it was the Accounting Today one, right? So that was um, that was driven by the Illinois CPA Society president and CEO Todd Shapiro talking at their annual. A state Society Summit, and he was talking about these stats and trying to come up with solutions right and I'm not sure you know he he didn't really have a solution for this. I mean adding in technology is important, but the other thing that he mentioned is something that I'm kind of missing from this evolution project, which is looking forward and and being able to provide advisory services to clients. That's a really important thing. And we know that advisory is growing, right? We talked last week about how businesses want to pay accounting firms for advisory, and they would pay 30% more among the small businesses. Small businesses would pay 30% more if they could get advisory services from their firms, but they're not being served. And I don't know if the curriculum has changed since I took my accounting classes, like, right? Because I'm a career changer. I, I, I've been through it recently. There was nothing finance really related. Maybe we barely touched on KPIs and they were the really basic ones like current ratio and inventory turnover. This whole future forward looking, helping clients see what's coming. None of that is in there. And I don't think that's in this new curriculum. They're adding in the tech, but I think that kind of misses the point because the purpose of the tech is to automate the accounting, the historical work so that you can do the future looking stuff so if you don't add in that then i don't know i don't think it really solves the problem
0: and it's a big uh like an overall question of when people are wondering like why do i want to go get my cpa right and it's almost like it's the perfect storm right you know the uh the extra requirement you you can't nobody's hiring right or or hirings are down um you have to do the extra 150 hours a semester study you have rpa and ai right eliminating cpa functions across the board right there's just it's like the perfect storm of things happening and then even if you go smaller market like in general now small businesses are doing most of their work on the cloud now Mm -hmm. right and if you're not coming out of college with that experience with the cloud apps and the cloud technologies so it's just uh it's um it it I don't know how to solve it. It's just there. It's a the perfect storm and oh, yeah. it's not going to help. Right. I mean, well, hire, not hiring is not going to encourage the best and brightest to become accounting majors.
1: The, the 150 hour requirement was the profession shooting itself in the foot. It's, it makes no sense. It makes becoming a CPA very expensive and time consuming compared to other things that you could be doing with your time, where you could be making more money in a shorter amount of time. It's just like anti-competitive and was a really bad idea. And I, The problem is I don't think anyone's willing to admit that it was a bad idea and to undo it because now it's enshrined in law in many states. So, you can't undo it, right? It's like it takes so long to make anything happen that to undo it would be another, I don't know how long that took, but 10, 20 years or something like that. So, we're kind of stuck with it. Maybe this is inevitable, this decline. But, you know, that might not be such a bad thing, right? I think I saw Donnie Shimamoto arguing in an article on CPA trend lines, uh, and I have to dig into it more. I haven't read the whole thing, but basically his premise is, well, you know, maybe this isn't such a bad thing. We don't need everybody in a CPA firm to be a CPA. It's not like everybody who works at a hospital is a doctor. You have all these people that support them, right? So I that think makes that's, that makes sense, right? That's fair. So maybe this isn't such a big deal.
0: And the market's going to figure this out from a supply and demand perspective. If there's not enough CPAs, the market will be hiring a lot more. They'll try to hire more. So, the market's going to balance this out.
1: But it's it's shocking when you see headlines at 3% hiring is down. So, it's not shocking though, if you look at the incentives in place for employers when it comes to automation. The US tax code actually favors automation according to a new paper. This is from the Brookings Institution. When you add up all the taxes on labor, right, hiring people, employing people to do work, it ends up being about 28.5% on employers. Now, what is the tax rate on replacing those people with software and equipment? It's only about 5%. And that is in large part due to government policies by both Republican and and democratic administrations, from Bush to Obama to Trump, in which to incentivize business investment, we created bonus depreciation rules that allow businesses to buy equipment and software and write it off very quickly, thus getting a tax benefit. Whereas if you hire people, you don't get any tax benefit generally, certainly not as big a one. And so there's this huge difference in the benefit you receive from implementing automation in your firm versus hiring people to do work. And so we are actually, this is not intentional, right? We, but we are incentivizing businesses to replace people with automation, even when the automation is only equal to the people because of the tax benefit. And not only that,
0: because of these, these tax policies that we're currently rolling out for the pandemic, it's encouraged you not to have employees at all, <laughs> right? Because it's too yeah. much headache. It's too
1: much headache to pay employees yeah. now. Yeah. So remote work uh, is making it harder to hire and train people, right? It's making it easier to retain people, but it's not making it easier to train and and integrate people in your company. So what are people going to do? They're going to buy software, they're going to buy automation instead of hiring people. And so like, that's probably also a big reason why accounting firms are, you know, hiring fewer accounting grads is because they're automating a lot of the work that these accounting students were taught to do. And it's cheaper to automate it than to hire them. So you know what's the policy implication here? Well, you know the the authors of this economic study at Brookings say that um, we should adjust the taxation so that it's even or even preference labor over equipment because there are many like first order effects that are much more beneficial. Like having obviously, well, I think it's obvious, right? (laughs) If you have low unemployment, it's better for society (laughs) than if you have high unemployment. So, we should even this out, is the argument.
0: So, let's say all the grunt work's automated. Yeah. Right? And I'm a firm believer that, like, the grunt work is actually what makes you amazing 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right? Because you 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 know all the inner workings of the pieces, right? Yeah. But how how do you just graduate college? It's all theory. You All the grunt work's automated, so you're not doing that, and you just jump into advising. Like, how do you – like, you, you kind of have to have that basis of the work. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah, you have to do the dirty work. I mean, I always say that like the best thing that for me was, I had to post debits and credits in an ancient accounting system, and I, you know, it wasn't one of those systems like QuickBooks where you can't screw it up. <laughs> you know, if I got the accounts wrong, I would create a huge mess. And so I learned, like intuitively, it's in my bod, in my bones, how to post journal entries properly. And uh, yeah, you're not getting that anymore. Right? There's no, you don't get that experience. And, um, I think I was like one of the last accountants. To- and, and won't that hurt, um,
0: the success rate in the CPA exam? Cause in theory in the CPA exam, you're supposed to have time in practice, right? Before you take the exam.
1: A little bit. Yeah. At least a few years, probably. Yeah. But if, if you like, if the grunt work's not there, I like, think, what are you learning? Like just all in theory still? Yeah. So this is the problem where we're getting these firms that are no longer pyramids, right? Where you have a lot of people at the bottom and, you know, kind of like as you move up, you have fewer people. Now we're getting diamonds where you have like very few people at the bottom entry level. And then you have a big group of like middle managers who have experience and know how to do the advanced technology and advising stuff. And then you have a smaller group of partners at the top. And um, it's, I think it's a big problem. It's going to be a huge challenge. And I don't think anyone has a solution yet. Right? Where do you get the experience that you need? This is something I talked about with Phil Yeager on his podcast about the future of the the CPA and the profession, it's like one of my suggestions is that we change the education so it's less theoretical and more practical, right? Do fewer hours in the classroom, fewer years in the classroom and do more, you know, working in firms. And I think it would be better for people to do extended internships and, uh, you know, firms would be willing to hire them if they didn't have to pay them a full salary, right? If it was an internship and, and, and then get the experience that way right? It would be better than just sitting in a classroom learning stuff that you're never going to use. Yeah. Or
0: make them go run a business for like, like start a business and run a business for 12 months. Right. And like set up your own bookkeeping and create, get revenue and and reconcile (laughs) things. Right. And all these things you have to do, right. That, that gives you the experience when you do, you can have these conversations later on with a small business owner.
1: Well, and so here's the thing is if you're listening and you're studying accounting and you want to, you're worried about this. I would say, yes, you should be worried. And here's what you should do. Get, take classes in finance as well. Okay. Take your basic accounting, get your intermediate accounting, but more valuable to you than like your advanced accounting courses. Cause you can learn that stuff probably in the real world would be take finance. According to an Oracle NetSuite survey, nearly half of respondents across uh, finance and executives on small to medium-sized businesses said that finance has grown in importance since January. The most important elements of finance are financial planning and analysis, corporate development and strategy, and risk management. Those are areas that are growing. Accounting is shrinking due to automation. Finance is growing because in uncertain economic environments, that's what people need. I think they're going to need it going forward, right? FP&A is always something that that businesses need. And as business models change quicker and quicker due to technological advancement, this is going to be something that we need at least f- until, I don't know, 40 or 50 years from now. And when, when we develop an AI that can basically take over the world and we don't have to do any work at all <laughs> you know? because we are either uh, all destroyed by the AI or it becomes our benevolent, benevolent overlord and provides us with everything that we need.
0: Yeah. So, it would be great to, if people called left us a voicemail about their opinions on you know how, how would you solve this problem right or how how should the industry solve this problem of accounting majors not being able to get the skills and why they're not becoming CPAs and why they're not being hired and why they're not yes. being valued in Fortune 500 so we'd love to hear your opinions, opinions on this and that phone
1: number Blake 202 695 1040 that is 202 695 1040 It is a number that goes straight to voicemail. You have three minutes. Leave a message. We will absolutely listen to it, and we may even play it on the air. We'd love to hear from you. That's all I've got this week, David. I'm out of news as well. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, See you all here uh, on the next podcast. Bye.
0: Time for The Classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With ClientHub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. ClientHub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, frictionless client communication.